Welcome to Origin Gates daily podcast called Wisdom's Echo. I'm Samantha Mahoney and I'm glad that you've joined me today. I've called the title of this podcast, The Light is Green Unless It's Red. And I'm hoping by the end of this session, you're going to get what I'm talking about. If you followed my podcast over the last few months, you will notice a particular theme that runs through the series, and that is to do with your scroll. You know, I firmly believe, and it's because simply because the word says it, that all of us have a scroll that was pre-written for us about the desires in Yahweh's heart of the things that he wants us to fulfill while we're on this earth. But we spend our whole lives trying to figure out why am I here? What is my purpose in life? I just wish I could die so that I can get to heaven so that then, you know, everything will be made known to me. And we wander around aimlessly, not really knowing what our purpose is. You know, when you can align with your scroll, you're going to begin to notice that doors will open for you that you weren't even looking for. And I'm actually going to make a prophetic decree today that if you engage with that scroll, begin to watch your life change as God brings into order all of those things that have been set up for you to do that are on his heart. So what is on your scroll? How do we know what's written on our scroll? Let me ask you that with another question. How are you motivated? What are your dreams? What are your desires? What are your strengths? What's in your hand? And I just want to pause there on those questions just to bring you something um, from the Word of God where a question was asked to a woman about what's in your hand, what's in your cupboard. And if we can just spend a few minutes looking at that, it comes from 2 Kings 4 verse 1 to 7. Verse 1 says, Now the wife of the son of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the creditor has come to take my two sons to be his slaves. The background to the story is that Elisha was the former employer of this woman's husband. The woman's husband was a prophet under the direction of Elisha. So she had enough of a relationship with Elisha to come to him with some of her issues. The woman is going through some stuff, okay? She's a single mother now, and she has some problems. And we all know that misery loves company. So her problems weren't just singular, they were multiplied, okay? Now, it doesn't say how long from the scripture that her husband had been dead, okay? But she was, she was having, she was still going through some personal pain and some grief to do with that whole process. She has some financial burdens. Now, we know that this also spilled over into her domestic life because she says, my two sons are about to be sold. So it's complicating the problems that she already has. We can also tell from the way that she approaches Elisha that she has some spiritual disappointment. She's frustrated with God because her husband served God faithfully and she assumed that when you serve God faithfully, everything will be provided. If you pay your tithes, if you serve faithfully, if you're a good person, you do the right things, then everything is going to be okay. But her life did not seem to be going in the right direction for her. So she comes to her husband's former boss in an accusatory mode and she comes looking for answers. Why has God failed my family? We've been trusting him for so long. We've served him for so long. We've lost everything. What you going to do about it? Look at Elisha's response in, in verse 2. Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in your house? This is a very interesting response from Elisha. 
You know, as a pastor, when someone comes to us with a problem, what's the first thing we do? And if you're a pastor, I bet you're already saying it out loud. We want to open the Bible and we want to read them a scripture or a verse. We want to pray for them, lay hands on them, cast out devils, do warfare, whatever it is. We want to actually take over something that a person has instead of giving them the tools to do it. And we want to take charge and pray. And then it's because our prayers that that got answered. But Elisha doesn't pray for her. He doesn't counsel her. He doesn't read her scriptures. He doesn't even encourage her. He asks her two seemingly random as questions. Note them carefully. What shall I do for you? This puts the responsibility on Elisha. She wants him to do something for her to change her situation. The second question, what do you have in your house? There's nothing about Elisha and about him providing a solution. It's about her and what God has given to her to find her solution. Now put yourself in her position. You come to me with horrible things going on in your life and you're waiting for me to sort it out or give you words of wisdom, give you a word of knowledge, give you a prophetic word, I don't know. And I ignore everything you've just told me to ask you, what do you want me to do for you? And what is in your house? Which one of those are you going to answer? It seems like it's logical to answer the first one. Why? Because obviously you don't have the solution to your problem, which is why you've come to me in the first place, right? You want me to do something for you, right? Now watch her response. She says, your handmaid has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Notice she didn't answer the first question. She proceeds to answer the second question, the what do you have in your house thing. And she probably thought, well, I came to you because I don't have the answer and clearly you don't have the solution either. And in fact, this is my problem, not yours. So somehow I must have the answer. She was taking personal responsibility for the acceleration that was about to come into her life. The questions you choose to respond to are going to determine the outcome you receive. When you respond to question one, what shall I do for you? You are actually abdicating your responsibility. This is your problem. God's given you the answer, but you want someone else to do it. When you want someone else to sort out your stuff, you're saying, I'm not part of this process. I want you to do it for me. In the age of the church, that is what people are looking for many times. If we have a sore toe, we call the pastors and the intercessors to carry it for us. We've worn our pastors out because we don't know how to take responsibility at the lowest level. Anytime you ask a question that places the burden of responsibility on someone else, now listen to this, you remove yourself from the solution and make somebody else the master of your destiny. Come on, man. We're abdicating our power of dominion that God gave to all of us and we're putting someone else in the governmental seat of your mountain. My gosh, that'll preach right there. She responds to the second question. She, she doesn't start off too well, but she gets to the point by the end of the sentence. She says, I have nothing. Then she has a little realization while answering and she changes course. She goes, but a little oil. Notice the two parts in the statement, I have nothing, and the second thing is, but. When someone says, I have nothing, it's pretty much a statement, right? You can't argue with it. It's, it's pretty much a statement, a statement of weakness, a statement of lack of defeat. It's a rehearsed standard response. I don't know, whatever. 
okay? She was going through the rehearsed standard response. And then, in the middle of that response, a thought struck her, struck her and she interjects and she goes, but. Now, anytime you make a statement and then put but into the sentence, you are getting ready to nullify everything that you previously said. If you're a young man, for instance, and you just propose to the lady of your dreams and she replies, you're a good man, you're going to make a wonderful husband. I like your shoes, I like your dress sense, you have a, a wonderful um, personality and an anointing on your life. But, now that but there simply means that she has cancelled out everything that she said prior to but. Right? Is this correct? Yeah. So back to the woman and Elisha. She says, I have nothing but. So she's getting ready to cancel the statement that she just made. I've been making the statement over and over. Today I'm canceling that statement. We need to learn to introduce a but into our statements. The doctor says I'm going to die, but God's blueprint says something else. I have all these overwhelming problems threatening to destroy me, but I have the answer in him. So she continues, I have nothing but a jar of oil. Now this statement is ridiculous. What does a jar of oil have to do with a major economic crisis? What is the relationship between the jar of oil and the huge problems that you have? She made a connection that the totally insignificant asset that she had in her cupboard somehow had within it the power to transform her situation. When we introduce a but, into our statements of powerlessness we've used it's going to locate the asset that we've taken for granted for so long the woman even though she's poverty stricken and facing serious problems she realizes that she has something it has value it's readily accessible she realized she had something even though it did not look big she says it's in my house i can lay hold of it right now and it is some kind of use for you. You have no idea what that little jar in your life can accomplish for you. Never overlook the small things that God has given you. So with regard to your scroll, what is in your cupboard? What do you have access to right now? Now, I want to that's that's one way that you can begin to look at your scroll and try and determine what is on it. What has God actually given you? Because he's equipped you for every good work. So that obviously is going to be in the picture of what your scroll contains. But that's not everything. Now, all the stuff that I've just mentioned and asked you about, how are you motivated? What are your dreams? What are your strengths? What's in your hand? This may or may not have anything to do with your scroll and it may have everything to do with your scroll. Everything might begin to change for you once you say, Father, I have an idea of what my scroll says, but I'm asking for you to breathe your life into it. As you breathe the words that are on the scroll, let them begin to find a landing place in my spirit and let my spirit respond to the frequency of the words and the power of that scroll and let it begin to shift my DNA, my thought patterns, my thinking, my circumstances so that everything aligns with that scroll. Let me ask you this, what has your journey been so far? You go through things to help those who are in any kind of trouble. We've done an exercise with a number of people. We, we go all over the world, we speak at different conferences, and I often 
ask people to eat their scrolls. When you eat your scrolls, and there is biblical precedent for it, you go and look how many of the prophets ate the scroll. It says it was bitter to the taste and or sweet to the taste and bitter to the stomach, right? Once you eat that scroll, he changes things for you. He gives you the desire of your heart. So it's never ever been my desire of my heart to go into anything to do with alternative health and wellness, healing by frequency. However, my own journey of a doctor's report telling me there is no cure for you set me on that thing and my heart's desire now has been changed depending on what I've been facing to bring those who are in any kind of trouble in the health area back into alignment with life. So I know that this is on my scroll. God is using part of my journey to bring me back and to accomplish that which is written on my scroll. You know, the word says he gives you the desires of your heart. That means I, I want a house. I want a big mansion. I want a uh, whatever Lamborghini. And he says, okay, yes, you can have it because that's the desire. No, no. He gives you the desires of your heart. He puts the desires in your heart that align with your scroll. So that when it begins to unfold for you, it's already part of your desire. Now, this is something that I notice a lot is whenever someone has a decision to make, because you know God requires action. He doesn't just let things fall into your lap. He requires action from us. But this is the language that I hear from the religious. You know, um, they will say, well, God told me this. And you know what it is to do is to get what you want. It's the idols of your heart speaking. And then when you say, God told me this and it doesn't happen, then we go, oh, no, no, actually God changed his mind and he said this now. And so they're constantly changing it and they're disappointed when they believe that God said and it doesn't happen for them. Then now, you know, suddenly God, God's got amnesia and God's made a mistake, but we never take responsibility. So I'm asking you to check out Ezekiel 14. It says, now some of the elders of Israel came to me and sat before me. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, these men have set up their idols in their hearts and put before them that which causes them to stumble into iniquity. Should I let myself be inquired of at all by them? Verse four says, therefore speak to them and say to them, thus says the Lord God, everyone of the house of Israel who sets up his idols in his heart and puts before him what causes him to stumble into iniquity, and then comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him who comes according to the multitude of his idols, that I may seize the house of Israel by their heart, because they are all estranged from me by their idols. So when you go, oh, God said, but it's according to the idol in your heart. Here, this verse says, I, God, will answer him in the voice and the multitude of his idols. That is why you don't see your prayers being answered when you say, God said, or your prophetic words, God said this. It's actually your own idols of your heart dictating what God has and hasn't said. And you know what? When we do this, we're going to miss it all the time. Another thing that I hear out of the religious mouth, you know, like a simple thing like, hey, you want to join me for a lunch or shall we go out for a cup of coffee? I don't know. I'll pray about it. I'll see what God says. For goodness sake, do something so that God can put his favor on it. You know, if you really believe that you've been called to something, then what's the next step? Lots of us go, okay, well, I'll wait to see 
um, how God is going to set this up. I'm going to wait for God to provide all of the answers that we need. And you know what? Sometimes he does that. Sometimes he just out of his love and his goodness and because he needs you to get on with it, he puts things in your path and he says, now do this. Go to the land I will show you and settle by the straight path. That's what he said to us about going to England and coming to New Zealand. Because if we hadn't, we would still be praying about it today. So, you know, he sometimes, yes, he gives you a word and he gives you very clear instruction and it's not the idol in your heart speaking. That is him speaking according to your scroll. But what I've noticed is that we have to do something. Doesn't the word say, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. You know, things don't just always fall into our lap. Maybe 1% of the time they do, but mostly you have to do an action to receive a reaction. If you want to find, then you've got to seek. If you want a door to be open, you have to knock. If you want something, you have to ask for it. You know, and, and this is an attitude that I see amongst us so many times. Um, like, like, for instance, I might say, I believe I'm called to go to Ireland. And then I'm now going to wait for the next 60 years to see what doors God is going to open to allow me to go and do that. How's about I go knock on a few doors? The light is green unless it's red. You know, when you align with your scroll and you say, Father, I only want to accomplish that which you've written on my scroll. And he puts the desire in your heart. Let's go to Ireland. I believe we have to go to Ireland. Okay, you have to go and do something. You have to knock if you want that door to be opened. You have to ask if you want an answer. You have to seek in order to find. You can't just sit there with our religious attitude going, Father, open the doors. If I'm supposed to go, you let somebody phone me from Ireland and offer me a job that I can't refuse and it must have this salary and it must have the house and it must have a car. He never, well, no, not never. He hardly ever works like that. You've got to do something for, you've got to take what's in your cupboard and produce that little bit of oil so that he can bring the multiplication to it. The light is green unless it's red. When you're aligned with your scroll and you say, Father, you show me, you lead me according to, your, to, to my scroll, you will knock on a door. And if it's not on your scroll, that door will not open for you. You know, and I just want to close with um, two verses, Proverbs 16, verse 3. It says, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. So do something, commit to him what you're doing and he will establish the way, the pathway for you. But you've got to do something first. Psalm 37 verse 4 and 5 says, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in him. Lord, I know that you've written an awesome scroll for me. I want to fulfill my desires are your desires. And it says he will give you the desires of your heart. He will put in your heart the desires that align with your scroll. Verse 5 then says, commit your way to the Lord. So you have to have a way, right? Trust also in him. Trust him for what? If it's a no, close it. If it's a yes, open it. And he will bring it to pass. You've first got to do stuff. You've got to commit your way, not wait for him to provide you with the way. Commit your way to the Lord. Right? Commit to the Lord whatever you do and he will establish it. Do you see that you first have to do something in order for God to bring the multiplication and the favor on it? So let's, let's get out of that mindset waiting for God to do everything for us. That's a child mentality. You know, I'm waiting for mommy to um, cut the food and put it in my mouth so that I can eat it. This is, we're, we're not babies. 
we have to start maturing in him and we have to start doing something. So I want to encourage you with this because I really believe this word is for someone today. The light is green unless it's red. I bless you today. Have an awesome day.